So tonight, as we uh, get ready to come into our time of prayer, uh, I just kind of want you guys to know that we're going to uh, pray through, uh, I know we did this this morning, but we're going to pray through those in our congregation or associated with our congregation that have served uh, in the armed forces. Uh, we're going to pray for uh, James Post's ordination this evening, as well as for uh, pastors in Oklahoma. Uh, and we're also going to pray for those who may be facing depression or facing dark times, especially as we come into the holidays. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to take lists of names, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a space for silent prayer for you to name to the Lord uh, the people that are on your heart as we work through this prayer. Okay? All right, uh, and then uh, at the end, uh, if you haven't uh, been to an evening service before, we uh, end the prayer by singing uh, together this, uh, which the words are on here, or you can turn over to the Trinity Hymnal, uh, number 728. And I normally sing it badly, so I'll turn off the mic when we get there. Uh, that being said, would you guys pray with me? Oh God, oh God. You make us glad. We are glad to be in worship of you. And we are glad for the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week to come may be spent in your favor. Uh, we commend to your gracious care and keeping all the men and women of our armed forces at home and abroad right now. And we silently lift up some of them to you by name. Defend them day by day with your heavenly grace. Strengthen them in their trials and temptations. And give them courage to face the perils that beset them. And grant them a sense of your abiding presence wherever they may be. We also thank you with grateful hearts for the men and women of our country uh, who in the day of decision ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the people of this land share the benefits of true freedom and gladly accept its disciplines. And we lift up to you just in thankfulness uh, some of those people to you now. Thank you for these servants, Lord. Uh, for tonight, for James Post's ordination, we ask you, most merciful Father, to send down upon your servant your heavenly blessing and do him with your Holy Spirit that in preaching your word he may not only be earnest to reprove, beseech, and rebuke with all love and godly doctrine, but may also present a wholesome example in word and conduct, in love and faith, in chastity and purity, that having faithfully run his course at the last day he may receive the crown of righteousness laid up by the Lord Jesus. Um, Lord, we ask that many students at OU may put their faith in you for the first time. That many people that have been in churches their whole life, maybe faithful churches, maybe not, would understand your gospel fully for the first time. And we ask that by, through the ministry of James, uh, students would be shepherded to know Jesus, to walk with you, O oh Lord. 
Help him to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve your church. And speaking of universities, uh, Lord, it's by your gift alone that anyone comes to wisdom and true understanding. So look with favor, we pray, on all of our universities, colleges, and schools, especially the University of Oklahoma, the University of Central Oklahoma, Oklahoma State University, uh, and all the other colleges uh, in our state and our presbytery, including uh, uh, the University of Arkansas. Uh, be at work so that knowledge may be increased among us, among those students, and wholesome learning flourish and abound. Give students a special discernment where there might be error, and bless those who teach and those who learn, and grant that in humility of heart, through your work on those campuses, students may ever look to you, the fountain of all wisdom. We lift up to you some of our college students silently now. And as we enter into these shorter days with less daylight, as holidays may bring painful memories or lonely days that should be filled with family and friends but aren't, O oh God, almighty and merciful, heal the brokenhearted. Turn the sadness of the sorrowful to joy. Let your fatherly goodness be upon all whom you have made. Remember in pity all those who are destitute, homeless, elderly, infirm, or forgotten. Bless the multitude of your poor. Lift up those who are cast down, and mightily befriend innocent sufferers, and sanctify to them the endurance of their wrongs. Cheer with hope all who are discouraged and downcast, and by your heavenly grace preserve from falling those whose poverty tempts them to sin. Though they be troubled on every side, Heal them not to be distressed. Though they are perplexed, save them from despair. And where people are considering self-harm uh, or simply overcome with loneliness, heal families and comfort the lonely and depressed. We lift up some of these to you silently now. O oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And we lift our prayers and adoration up to you uh, through song. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to Philippians 3, which is on page 981 of those Blue Pew Bibles, we're going to keep right on trucking through our series in Philippians, Hold the Line. So, uh, sort of at this point, Paul is fixing to make the turn. 
Uh, he, he, in fact, his very first word is going to be, finally. And like any good preacher, he's going to go on for two more chapters after he says that. <laughs> uh, but he's getting ready to both repeat and start centering in on what I think probably led him to send this letter, which is actually the conflict between Yodia and Syntyche, though we won't quite get to that today. But instead, what we're going to get is a reminder of the foundation that's going to enable all the self-sacrifice and all the understanding of humility and loving one another that Paul's been talking about in the whole letter, and that he used Timothy and Epaphroditus for, uh, which Pastor Mike talked to you about two weeks ago, uh, and then ramp up to his final exhortation to deal with the things going on there at the church in Philippi. So, with that as just a reminder and knowing where we're going, please stand if you're able in the honor of the reading of God's Word uh, from Philippians 3, 1 through 16. This is the Word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul, starting in Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. All men are but dust, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So let's pray. Father, we are here tonight to get your word. 
and by the power of your Holy Spirit to be helped toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that by any means possible we may attain the resurrection from the dead. So move us upward tonight for having considered your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, some of you have had job interviews in your lives, and some of you have not, at least not yet. So for those of you who have not yet, kids, I'm looking at you, sorry, job interviews are weird. And let me tell you why. Because whether you're trying to get a job at McDonald's or you're trying to get a job at NASA, you want to go in and, you know, we're taught our whole lives not to brag, not to toot our own horn, uh, but then you get in this job interview setting and you want to be likable and you want to be humble and a team player and you want to be awesome and you want them to know you're awesome. And that is a hard balance to strike as you go over your resume. And, and here's the thing about our resumes, uh, grown-ups, maybe you can relate with this. If we have a good resume, it kind of makes us feel awesome. Uh, and if you don't have a good resume, a good resume, you can wonder if you're worth anything to our society. But either way, our resumes function as a form of justification, a form of making us feel valid. Uh, and you know, whether this is in school or looking for a job, when you have your resume, it is how you determine whether or not you're worth anything. And Paul says we need to stop looking at our resumes to determine our worth. And he's trying to shift our sights somewhere else here because shifting our sights to somewhere else to find our worth is going to be the first step to dealing with whatever's going on with Yodia and Syntyche and all the problems going on here at the church in Philippi. This text strips away all that normally centers us, if we're not centered in Christ. It's, it strips away all that often gives us purpose, if our purpose is not to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and this text strips away all that makes us feel like somebody. And it adjusts us, to requ and it requires faith in the reality of the gospel to then give us something far better to justify ourselves. Something far more sure. Something that won't have failure, but only success. And that is the good news that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what the Bible says he has done. So this text strips away our worldly boasts, but it also strips away our religious boasts. And in either case, aims us towards Jesus, which is going to lead us to interact with the world in completely different ways. So, the whole point of this passage, if you're going to strip it down to four words, boast in Christ Jesus. Boast in Christ Jesus. 
And I'm taking that out of verse 3, where it says, uh, we are the circumcision, we are the rightful people of God who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this is not how we normally talk. So this word glory uh, probably would probably make more sense if it said, and brag in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm looking around. I know everyone in this room tonight, so I realize there's no skeptics here for me to talk to. But when I was at the ARC, anytime, that's that drug and alcohol rehab I used to run, anytime I would say something like that, I would get this, you know, bragging and pride as a sin preacher. Uh, I'm a drug addict and I know more than you. And yes, if that sounds a little bit condescending, it got old, okay? (laughs) So, I would often have to say, listen, that is a very elementary reading with a very narrow definition of pride. Certainly, pride is a kind of sin. That is, a certain pride is a kind of sin. And pride relative to boasting in Christ, if you are boasting in something more than Jesus, is certainly a sin, because then you're finding your identity there. But there is a proper pride that is fine and not problematic, though all pride can be problematic. Why do I tell you that? Because my kids are here, I'm thinking, guys, it's okay to be proud of the things you accomplish. It's okay to get good grades and be happy about that. And it's okay to say, you know what? I succeeded in my career. That is fine. As long as you don't find your central identity there. Bragging and boasting in contexts can be fine, but it can also be the symptom of a proud heart. Uh, Now, what ought we to be centered in boasting in? What ought people know defines us? Well, that is exactly what we read about from Jeremiah 9. Uh, Thus says Yahweh, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But rather, boast in Yahweh. And Paul just said something more or less like that uh, in both his letters to the Corinthians. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, which was just quoting Jeremiah. So in order to make sense out of this passage, we really need to look at boasting. And we need to look at boasts other than Christ. We need to look at losing those boasts. And then we need to ask, what would it mean to have no boast other than Christ? So I know I didn't get the outline onto the uh, worship guide, but there's your three points. Other boasts than Christ, losing those boasts, and having no other boast. First, other boasts than Christ. Now, just in case anyone's wondering, the idea of pride in stuff, in accomplishment, is nothing new. It is not a uniquely American problem. Uh, It wasn't new for the Jews. It wasn't new for humans. If anything, justifying ourselves is what we've been trying to do since Adam and Eve first 
sinned, right? Adam and Eve were supposed to find their justification in God making them all they were supposed to be in the right time. When God gave them the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in his time with his permission. But they said, no, we're going to do it our own way, in our own time, because Satan says we can be like God our own way now. And so that is really the foundation of all of our sins. So St. Augustine is correct when he says pride was the first sin. But we're not pride in a very narrow definition that has to do with defining ourselves entirely apart from God. And Paul has dealt with this before. So he says this, apparently with the church at Philippi, I'm not really sure what the background is here, but he starts off saying, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble at all for me, and it's safe for you. Rejoice in the Lord, my friends, and I'm going to say it again because you know what? Saying it again is good for me and you. If you have ever felt like Pastor Mike and I say the same things week after week, I keep looking at the kids. Maybe you grown-ups also think this. But uh, have you ever thought, man, Pastor Mike and Pastor Wes keep saying the same thing week after week? Yes. <laughs> you know why? Because it is good for you and me both. Because we walk out of here week after week after week, and we don't live in light of this. And so he's going to say it again, and then he launches into what he really wants to say. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who are looking to boast in something other than Christ. Now, how do you get that from that? Well, so the dogs here is probably a turnabout. Turnabout is fair play, after all. Um, often Jews, especially well-to-do, proper law-keeping Jews, uh, would talk about the Gentiles as those dogs. And in a turn of irony here, Paul is calling those law-keeping Jews the dogs. So he's turning it around on them. Uh, and particularly, there's some people that may actually, they might even be Christians. I mean, they may be misled Christians, don't get me wrong in error Christians, but Christians, who are saying, hey, if you want to believe in Jesus, you got to believe in Jesus and do all the ceremonial Jewish law stuff. Which, if you want to read more about that, Paul really goes in depth in the letter to Galatians about those sorts of issues. And uh, Pastor Mike would be very happy with this because there's actually alliteration in the Greek. So uh, I found someone that uh, sort of translated it with the alliteration uh, into English for us. Beware the curs, beware the criminals, and beware the cutters. You're welcome. (laughs) So beware these people that are looking to find themselves and draw you into finding your wealth, your wealth, your worth elsewhere. And then uh, Paul continues on in verse 3, For we, we Christians, we in Philippi, we who aren't doing that stuff, are the real circumcision. Which is, he's saying that all you Gentiles, remember, 
Philippi is a Roman colony. These are not Jews for, for the large part. And even those who are did something sort of scandalous to the Jews. They served in the Roman military. And he says, we are the true people of God. We are the true circumcision. We are those who have not only received physical circumcision, the removal of the foreskin. In fact, some of us haven't received it at all, but we've received the circumcision of our hearts. We are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And once again, there's a, Paul did a lot of play on words in this particular passage. Uh, I, I assume to make it complicated to preach. <laughs> so, there is a play on words here in that when he starts talking about the flesh, he was talking about circumcision. So when he says flesh, you immediately think, well, the foreskin is what he's talking about. But actually, he's using flesh in a very particular definition, which becomes clearer as we get into verses 4 and 5. But he's actually saying flesh as in human deeds, human ways that make us feel good about ourselves, and human ways that we are tempted to think make us okay with God. And so Paul is jumping from flesh, speaking of actual flesh, to flesh's human credentials. And so you've got to follow all that as you work through this. Uh, because God condemned the Israelites for being uncircumcised in their hearts, even though they were physically circumcised. And that's why in Jeremiah 9 it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will punish those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Uh, but rather, uh, because all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Paul is making a distinction and a division here between those who are now justified by Christ and those who want to justify themselves in any other way. And just to make his point one step further, because he needs to drive this home, he says in verse 4, though you know what? If anyone thinks they got a reason to brag and boast, I've got more reason than anyone to have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I got more. Because if anyone thinks he's in good with God because of, a, of what he's accomplished, it would be me. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So, we have to ask this question. And it's sort of an abstract question, but the temptation is obviously there for us because Paul is trying to get at the heart of it in this passage. Where are we confident? What is our, what is our way of feeling like we're on God's good side? What is our thing that actually makes us feel like, we're comfortable, God ought to like us, and it all ought to be okay because I did that. Now, you got to do some heart searching for that. I could throw out examples, but they're all dangerous because I can step on your toes by doing that. So I just want to say, whatever your way of being confident outside of Jesus is, whatever that is, 
It's a ticking time bomb. And it will not last. And what are you going to do when your confidence outside of Christ fails you? We need to lose our boasts other than Christ. That's why Paul continues on in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing... Uh, I count... Uh, yeah, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And uh, because of our particular audience and sensibilities, I'm not going to fully explain this text, but let's just say that, that word rubbish, Abigail loves the word rubbish, is a very rude word for poop, which you most um, prudish Christians would not expect to show up in the Bible. But if you go open up my fancy Greek dictionary and look at it, and look at the definition there, you would be shocked by what it says is the proper translation of this word. It's something we don't normally say in church. So Paul's trying to make a point here, and he's willing to use some very strong language to get it across, okay? Uh, because he is saying that I want to offend your sensibilities so that you understand how bad all of our ways of making ourselves okay really are and how much we really need Jesus. In fact, I count everything that is outside of Christ as a loss, as a load of something compared to Jesus. And so for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, and, and not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I have been willing to suffer a lot of loss, because I have Jesus. And I am willing to suffer a lot of relational turmoil with people. Because I have Jesus. And it is worth it to love you because Jesus has loved me. I will sacrifice to make sure people know Jesus because of the grace I've received by faith. And so I want to make sure everyone knows how to Put out the effort to gain Jesus. That, that is, to gain the one I already have and the resurrection of the dead, which is already promised to me. And once again, we're back at, this is, this is this heart issue. But Paul thinks it's worth going through beatings and rejections and shipwrecks and suffering and prison in order to make people, to get people to know about Jesus. And Paul thinks of his heart as normative for all Christians, not a special call for some Christians. Which leads us to a, an interesting question, to which I do not have the answer for. Why doesn't this radical way define our lives? 
and should it? Now, I'm going to do a little theology outside of this passage on you, okay? Let's step back. What I am not saying here is that all people are called to be apostles, okay? Some, some people are called to this sort of thing. Uh, we as a church support people who go into crazy places uh, in order to make the gospel known. But I'm not saying we're all called to be apostles. In fact, the bigger picture of the Bible is that grace restores nature and that we are saved to live the lives that we were always meant to live, the way we should have lived them. Grace is meant to give us full human life and flourishing, not call all of us to something altogether different. But nonetheless, in this broken world, every community has the necessity of self-sacrifice for the sake of the community. So I do think there is a legitimate asking, am I called to something, for lack of a better word, radical? Because that's sort of a buzzword in our circles right now. I do think it's a legit question, okay? But if you're not called to something radical, what self-sacrifices are you nonetheless called to make for the sake of this community? What self-sacrifice is required of you to love Heritage Presbyterian Church and the Christians of Oklahoma City? What sacrifices ought you to be making? And if we're not making any, are we healthy? You think about that. But what would enable someone to want to make sacrifice like this. Not just do it, but actually want to do it. Be like, I'm eager and ready to make sacrifice. What enables that? Understanding what Jesus has already sacrificed for you and how gracious your status with God really is. And that is what Paul is going on about. Uh, as he says, you know, I want to be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, don't mishear this. He's not saying he's worried that he's going to get kicked out. He's not saying he's not entirely sure Jesus is going to resurrect him at the end of the last day. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying that there is a real effort, a real, he's going to go on to say, a straining and pressing towards the resurrection that we are called to, that is necessary when we are living the Christian life. Because as he told the Galatians, we know that a person is not justified, not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It is definitely not by doing stuff that you get the resurrection. So what's going on here? Well, I'm going to skip a few things about faith and, and faithfulness because there's sort of this, is this about faith in Christ or Christ's faithfulness to us? 
Spoiler alert for the longer version of the sermon, the answer is yes. But it is just worth asking from time to time, do we think that God loves us because of all that we do for him? Sunday school, ministering to the poor, serving in the office of the church, serving the women's ministry. Or do we know that God loves us regardless of what we do? Because of what he has done for us on the cross in Jesus Christ. If our confidence before God lies in anything but his love, we've made the mistake of Paul before he was a Christian, when he was a zealot, when he was using his worldly ways to getting good with God. And like pre-Christian Paul, we need to trust solely in the righteousness that comes from God for our salvation. Because that will then make us excited to put out this sort of effort. Because we will delight in experientially participating in the love that is ours in Jesus Christ. We're a Reformed and Presbyterian church, so I got, always got to poke us in the eye when the Lord lets me have passages like this. Do you think of yourself as extra special to God with an extra special marker because you're reformed? Now, I already said earlier, there is a proper pride and an improper pride. When people ask me, are you, are you reformed? I say, yeah, of course I am. In fact, I, the other day I was saying, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Calvinist theology is just biblical theology. And so I went, uh, I, some people would disagree with that. I was like, yeah, okay. Right, so I'm not denying, I'm not like telling you to go out and deny that you're reformed. But uh, because we are sinners, we tend to err towards the improper version of pride. And uh, this is the besetting sin of the PCA, is thinking God must like us more because we're reformed. And I think we will be far more zealous to reach people for Christ when we know that God loves us because God loves us and not because we're reformed. I think the message, the good news we have will be far more beautiful to our neighborhoods when it is Jesus Christ and his love that led him to the cross for us and his resurrection instead of Calvinism. I think Jesus is far more beautiful than theology. I did not say theology does not matter. I did not say that. I said Jesus is far more beautiful than theology. And theology should only be a tool of helping us see how beautiful Jesus is. Because in relation to Jesus, our theology and all of our good works that would give us credit are nothing but debt. Therefore, we, have no, we should have no reason to boast but Christ. This means I'm on my third point because I'm running out of time. <laughs> um, so, no reason to boast but Christ. Because Jesus does give us something truly worth bragging about and something that God is pleased with. An alien righteousness. A, a rightness with him that is outside of us, that is given to us, laid on us, put on us, and that we do well to constantly dwell upon. 
That's why Paul said in a different letter to the Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul said here in verse 12, it's not that I've already obtained all this stuff. It's not that I'm already totally holy. It's not that I've already got self-sacrifice all figured out. It's not that I'm already living the Christian life perfectly. It's not that I'm not bugged by inconvenience. I have not already obtained this, or nor am I already perfect. But I press on to make knowing Christ experientially intimately, by growing in holiness, my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not there yet. I've messed up plenty. But you know what? I forget all and look forward to Jesus. And by the way, if you want, I actually think this might be the most important application of this entire sermon. Woo! You're paying attention now. This may be the most important application of this entire sermon. So remember this if you forget everything else. You are not perfect. And I mess stuff up all the time. And the only thing that can really comfort us and keep us going when we realize just how messed up we really are is knowing that Jesus has already made us his own. If you have to get it right, if you are a perfectionist, you will constantly worry if God loves you and Some people go through that cycle of perfectionism over and over again, and they eventually give out. And all they need to do is look at Jesus and be confident that no matter how much they mess it up, they belong to him because he bought them on the cross. And he was raised for their justification. So if you are struggling with not getting it right, if you keep misbehaving and having problems, but you love Jesus and you want to do better, if you still can't get things to go, if you thought you'd be better than this by now, if you are dependent on how well you're doing to motivate you to keep going, you're eventually going to give up. But if you know that Jesus is just so happy with you and happy that you're trying, that is what will keep you going. Because you know what you have attained, my friends? You know what you've attained on your own? Nothing. Me neither. (laughs) And do you know what you have attained, my friends? My Christian friends who believe in Jesus? You've attained everything. You didn't attain anything, yet Jesus attained everything everything for you, and Jesus has made you his own, and now you are, you are Christ's boast. You are what Jesus brags about, and you can brag about Jesus. And I want to say, let all of, those, all of us who are mature think this way, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. This is going to be my new burn to people who disagree with me. Well, here's the truth. And all those who are mature will think this way. And if you think otherwise, uh, God will reveal that to you. Best burn ever, Paul. (laughs) But seriously, if you're not on board with me, God will show you this because this is God's word. Jesus lived, died, and rose again to make us his own, and he has done everything to completely fulfill everything that we need to do and be, and given us full credit for that to be shown to the world, and most importantly, to be shown to God our Father. And therefore, kids and grown-ups alike, make sure that your life is about Jesus because he loves you you're going to want to think you're great, and God says you are in his eyes, but not because of you. In fact, you don't need to impress God. Now, if you go to a job interview, you got to impress people, okay? If, if you are trying to win an award, you got to be impressive. But when it comes to being in front of God, Jesus is your resume, your whole resume. And Jesus has made you his own. He's hired you. He's made you a child. You don't even have to work anymore. You're now inheriting it all. And because God is now your father, it can be a pleasure to pursue being like your older brother, Jesus. So hold true to what you have attained. Because Jesus is what you've attained. Put your confidence in him alone. When you take a job interview, try to be impressive, but always remember that God loves you through Jesus Christ, whether you're impressive to people or not, and that's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the God who says, I see how bad you are, and I see that you can never make it, and so I will give my son so that you can be righteous in my sight. Thank you that you are the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love. As we think on these things tonight and in the week to come, as we go through struggles, as we doubt ourselves, as people judge us, help us have a centeredness because our hearts will be set on the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. And would we not boast in anything but Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we put no confidence in human works, but strain, press on toward the goal of being more and more Christ-like, and that may, may that become a joy for us, because we know it's a promise. You have began a good work in us, we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.